thank you so much for coming. I'm very, very honored to be talking to you. And Mary told me that the best part of the Coffees with the Head is the conversation afterwards. She says, you've got the wisdom of the Oakcrest parents. So talk for a short time and then open it up. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, so I am, my name is Jenny Bowles. I'm the Dean of Students. I've had that role at Oakcrest for three years. But I've taught sixth grade and high school courses at Oakcrest. This is my fifth year being here. So and I've taught sixth grade all of those years. And I've been their class dean for all of those years. I've taught Latin, English, and for the past three years, history, ancient history and American history. So one thing with this dean of students role, so for the past three years, I've always gotten the question, what does that mean? And what do you do? And I usually get people saying, oh, so you're the disciplinarian, right? And I cringe, because who wants their job to be the disciplinarian? Not just that I don't want that to be my job, but I don't see that as my role or what I want it to be. Because it's not, first of all, it's not me, but it's also not Ocrest. So I've been, for three years, I've kind of been grappling with, Ocrest doesn't have a disciplinarian. What do we have? And how do we articulate what we have? And a year ago, I found an article on the Opus Dei website, opusdei.org, called Educating in Freedom. Oh my goodness, I pulled it out. Sure enough, I said, this is my answer. This is how I articulate my role as dean of students, the class dean's role. I oversee the class deans. So it's, it's the role that we share with the students. And it's really, it's the vision of Oakcrest in terms of forming young women of character. Um, so the main quotation from that article that I wanted to pass on is going to be kind of the highlight of this talk. It's a little, it's not that long. Okay, it says, the task of raising children comes down to getting them to want to do what is good, providing them with the intellectual and moral resources so that each one is able to do what is good from her own conviction. Read it again so you guys get it. It's, it's got multiple parts, but it's each part is important. The task of raising children comes down to getting them to want to do what is good, providing them with the intellectual and moral resources so that each one is able to do what is good from her own conviction. That's it. That's my role as dean of students. That's our role as educators. That's your role as parents. Um, little by little, with a lot of patience, with a lot of fortitude, getting our girls to want to do what is good and getting, giving them the resources to get there. That, I mean, that couldn't be a more lofty, beautiful goal. Um, that's what we want to do, that every Oakcrest young woman is able to do what is good from her own conviction. So really, that's our role as educators and as parents, to pass on convictions. That's wonderful. That's why I became a teacher, is I want to be able to pass on a conviction. And the opposite of passing on a conviction, the opposite of that goal of educating in freedom, getting her to want to do what is good, is training, is compliance, which is so much easier in a way um, just to train her and to want her to comply. Um, it's kind of, it's neater, it's cleaner. Um, I'm thinking of my mom who would have loved for us to have been so much more compliant in so many areas. I have eight younger brothers and sisters. My poor mother was heroic. Uh, one battle that she always fought with us was keeping the house clean. And we did not cooperate. She had nine little brats who would not clean the house. And the poor woman, it was her battle 
constantly, probably still is. I still have two brothers at home. Um, so, and, and she would say, you know, why don't you just clean your room? Why do I have to ask every time? I mean, that was, you know, every weekend, every night, that was, why don't you just? So that's, um, you know, it was the battle that she was fighting because it's a good thing to have the house clean. Um, think about at school, kind of, as the teachers, we'd kind of love for the girls to just wear the uniform correctly. Why don't you wear the right socks? It's so easy. Why don't you do it? Um, or why don't you just show up to class on time? You know, it's kind of, it's, we have the goals that we want for them, and we think, why don't you just do it? It's so easy. Um, but in my first experience working in a school, I was in New York City. And I was not a teacher. I was a curriculum designer. It was an office job. I was at a computer all day. But it was a charter school in the Bronx. And it was, a, it was an excellent charter school. The students, they were in the lowest, the poorest congressional district in the country. And their scores in math and reading were in the 90th percentile. So this charter school was getting academic results. And it was as strict as a military academy. I mean, I remember I only was observing it from the outside because I wasn't teaching, but when I would walk down the hall, those children would be walking in straight lines with the teacher saying, your hands are at your side, your eyes are forward, you know, so-and-so, no speaking. It was very, very strict, uh, which is, I think, how they got the academic results is they made sure the discipline was tight, as tight as, a, as the Army. But I remember... One time, I was just walking down the hallway, and a teacher, they, had, they would pull some of the students out into little rooms of groups of twos or threes for remedial teaching. And this one teacher who was doing the remedial teaching with the two students grabbed me from the hallway and said, you know what, I just need to run and make a photocopy. Can you just stay with them for two minutes, literally two minutes? Great, I'd never been with the students, interacted with the students before in a supervising role. But I can stay with students for two minutes. So I was in the little room with them. And as soon as the teacher left, these students, which were in perfect uniform, which had been in perfect discipline, immediately laughing, giggling. And I didn't, I wasn't their teacher. I couldn't really make them get back to work. But it just, it stuck in my mind realizing strictness in enforcing rules does not, they're not internalizing what they're being taught. That's the difference between training and educating in freedom. So I remember that, and I've been trying to think about that and reflect on that to see, so what do we want at Oakcrest? Because we don't want that as soon as their parents aren't here or as soon as their teachers aren't here, they're doing everything we've told them not to do. So how do we educate them? Because all of the rules that we have here at Oakcrest, they're not just rules. They really are, for the most part, life principles that we want them to carry with them when they graduate. But how do we help them internalize that so that when we're not there, they are doing, choosing the good from their own convictions? And that is, the portrait of the Oakcrest graduate talks a lot about freedom. The very, I don't know if it's the first sentence or the sentence sentence, says that we provide a culture of freedom in which young women thrive. So what is that culture of freedom that we provide here at Oakcrest? So I think one way that we do it, I'm thinking mostly as the deans, the class deans. So you, you all know that every grade has two deans, a main dean and assistant dean. We see them every morning in homeroom, and they're kind of the mom slash camp counselors of that grade. So the deans and my role 
how do we foster that atmosphere of freedom? I think one thing that we really try to do is always give the girls a why. We talk about that a lot as deans and our role in quote unquote disciplining is giving them the why. A school needs rules, a family needs rules, um, but that rules should have a why. They should not be arbitrary. And we should give the why, especially as these girls are going through adolescence, they should know the whys behind it. They may not like it. They might tell us, that's stupid, you're stupid. But there is a why behind those rules. So one example that I use a lot is our skirt length example, right? At Ocrest, whether you're in your uniform skirt or your professional dress outfit, your skirt or your dress should be at knee length. And when we introduced that rule three years ago, we presented it to the girls um, with Kate Middleton. Some of you probably remember this or heard this. But we say it's the Kate Middleton length. Um, Kate Middleton, I mean, is beautiful. Everyone wants to be dressed like her. So if you look at her pictures, every single outfit that she wears, her skirt or her dress is mid-knee. And she looks beautiful. So what we told the girls was, a knee-length skirt or dress, that is the appropriate length for someone who is representing an institution. So for Kate Middleton, head of state, she's representing England, the United Kingdom. As a student of Ocrest, we are always representing both ourselves and our school. So what we wear in the school setting is, should be that. That's different from maybe what you wear to your family's Christmas party. Okay? But as a student, you are representing yourself and your school. So our length is at the knee. But it's giving them the why. They still might not like it. They might not agree with it. But hopefully they're going to remember that and start to internalize it. And because we've given them the why, they can internalize it later as they're maturing. All right. A lot of the whys of all of the rules at Ocrest, you know, at lunchtime, you need to be si sitting down in Walsh Hall at a table, not on the floor. No, you can't sit in someone's lap. So, okay, tons and tons of rules. Um, you know, why can't you wear your sweatshirt to class? That's the one that they really don't like. Uh, why do we have professional dress, not free dress all the time? Why, when a teacher's walking down the hallway and she sees a girl sprawled out on the window seat, will a teacher say, hey, can you sit up? So why all these rules? A lot of them have do with getting out of yourself and thinking of others. Um, why not lie down on the window seat? It's super comfortable. Because that's an attitude of, this is me and my time and my space. Instead of, this is a professional setting. Other people are walking through the building. A prospective parent can walk through at any time. And you know what? Even if my classmates walk through at any time, when I'm sitting up, I'm ready to engage. I'm ready to respond. I'm ready to notice the needs of others. I'm ready to have a conversation. When I'm lying down on the window seat, it's all about me. Um, so a lot of the rules at Ocrest are really preparing a girl to be ready to give of herself. And self-gift is the definition of a fulfilled, happy life. So it's we demand of them in a way that's getting, giving them the tools to be ready to serve. There's a, a little phrase, when you dress down, you're dressing for yourself. When you dress up, you're dressing for others. I, I go back to that a lot. I love that phrase. When, I, when I'm in my sweatpants, it's about me. When I'm dressed up, I'm ready for 
other people. You know, when I'm going barefoot, it's about me. When I've got my shoes on, I'm ready to give. So that's kind of the mentality behind all of these rules at Ocrest and the way that we demand of the girls to live up to these expectations. So that's, a, that's kind of a takeaway principle. If the idea is getting them ready to give of themselves, the virtue of temperance is very, very important. Temperance is the virtue where we can moderate our desire for pleasure. I think a big, in our culture today, our desire for comfort and our desire for entertainment. We need to moderate that for ourselves, and we need to teach the girls how to moderate that desire. Because right now, that's not, I mean, think of just Netflix is not designed for the virtue of temperance. As soon as you watch one TV episode, it doesn't even give you the choice anymore of do you want to watch the next one. It starts in three seconds. Okay, the, it's so demanding to turn off your laptop and not just binge watch, which the girls love to do right now is binge watching. So anything that we can do to help our daughters grow in the virtue of temperance, which is hard, I mean, of course it's hard. It's moderating our desire for pleasure. Who wants that? But it's very important if, they, if we want them to be happy. A lot of that comes from how we model it ourselves, which makes it even harder. But it's worth it. All right. So what else at Ocrest creates an atmosphere of trust? Giving the wise is the first one. Sorry, an atmosphere of freedom. I gave away my punchline. It's an atmosphere of trust. If we want to have an atmosphere of freedom, there needs to be a climate of trust. We need to trust the girls, which can be hard. They're adolescent girls, right? But it's so important because we respond when we are trusted. Think about our own professional work. When we have a boss or supervisor who entrusts us with something, I mean, it just it fills us with pride and satisfaction, and we want to respond to the trust, to what has been entrusted with us. So, and the adoles our adolescent girls are exactly the same way. When we trust them, when we see and believe that they're capable of good, wonderful things, they're going to respond to that. And the opposite, if we don't mistrust, paralyzes. It's just as true for us as it is for the girls. When they don't feel trusted, they feel paralyzed. Um, adolescent girls give great weight to the judgment of others. So our judgment of them, I believe that you are capable of truth, I believe you're capable of good things, that you have a good heart, is empowering for them. And they will want to respond to that and live up to that. So that ties into having high expectations for them. And not just, again, not high expectations of compliance, which is very easy to slip into, it's high expectations of the good that they're capable of doing. Mm, so how do we do that at Ocrest, provide that atmosphere of trust. I really think the mentoring program just implicitly injects that into the school, that it is built into the school's DNA that the adults and the girls have a trusting relationship. You've heard this at all the open houses. You've heard this at the new parent orientations. But it's very true that at Ocrest, there's no us versus them mentality between the students and the teachers or the staff because every single student has one adult who listens to them and who rejoices with their joys. I think that's a really important part of the mentoring program is you have an adult who gets excited for what you're excited about and who guides you and who sets expectations for you. 
that, that's an important part, the listening. Um, the listening with the guiding. I think that's the, the hard part of the whole educating in freedom is how do I have demands but with trust? I mean, there is, it's, and that's the work of a lifetime for us to figure out, and that's why we have these coffees so we have each other to, <laughs> how do you do it? How do you do it? Um, but to have, to have an adult who listens and who also demands. There's, um, George W. Bush has a quotation that my mom used a lot, and it's been very helpful to me, is he talked about the soft bigotry of low expectations. So I think about that a lot as a teacher, is when we have low expectations, we're not doing our girls any service. And actually having an attitude of compliance is a very low expectation, that I just want my daughter to obey my rules. That's not... It's not anything that anyone would want to aspire to. So high expectations. I want my daughter or my student to be someone who is going to contribute to her family, to her society, to her place of work, because she has so much to give. And I want her to have the tools from virtue to be able to give. So that's, that's a higher expectation. Another part of creating that atmosphere of trust it's again, is the way we model, is the role, the, the model that we are setting for them. That we need to, through our own personal struggle, that we need to be someone that they want to respond to, want to listen to. And I know in the parent talks, it's always emphasized, we can demand of them what we ourselves don't live. So we don't need to be afraid. I know I can't make my bed every day, so how can I ask my daughter? No, ask your daughter to make her bed every day while I myself am struggling to make my bed every day. So it's not that we can only ask what we're living ourselves. That's doing our daughters a disservice. It's saying that they can only come up to what we're able to do. We want our students and our daughters to be better than us. But our own struggle and that our students and our daughters are seeing us personally struggle is huge. Struggling in the virtue of temperance struggling in the virtue of justice, struggling in our prayer life, that they see us trying to have prayer in our day, struggling to be cheerful, all of that. They see it. Um, I saw it in my parents very much, and that it gives them respect for us and what we're asking because they see us working towards it, not because they see us living it, and they know that we trust them. All right, a final kind of point as I was thinking about what helps a young person feel free, confidence is very important. She needs to feel confident. And where does confidence come from? Because in high school in Northern Virginia, too many times confidence is equated with achievement. I can be confident if I have accolades and accomplishments to be proud of, which puts our confidence in danger of being shattered as soon as someone is better than us as soon as someone else is going to be valedictorian and not me, as soon as someone else got the role in the play that I wanted, if our confidence is rooted in our achievements, we're afraid of failure. Um, it's that, that book that the teachers read about three years ago called Mindset. You heard about growth mindset, fixed mindset. There's a lot to that, that I, I want to be willing to make mistakes and not to be afraid of failure. That's key, but how do you get there? What does your confidence need to be rooted in um, for you to not be afraid of making mistakes, for you not to be afraid of failure? 
It's the confidence of being loved. It's unconditional love. And that ultimately is that I am a loved daughter of God. It all comes down, the, the term for that is divine filiation, that God loves me as a, his only daughter. And that's, that is the foundation of the spirit of Opus Dei, is this idea of God loves me as his daughter. It's also, it is the underpinning foundation of Ocrest, and it's in the portrait of our graduate. What does the portrait say? The joy that comes from knowing she is a daughter of God impels our graduates to do, and that's when the bulleted list starts. But everything that, we, that is part of the portrait of the Ocrest graduate, the foundation is the joy of coming from knowing that she's a loved daughter of God. So we pass that on to our students. It's very much a part of their theology classes at Ocrest, is making sure she knows that she's a loved daughter of God. So it's helping her understand that on a theological and spiritual level. But it's also modeled. It's, so, it's very, very much modeled in our families, that our families are a reflection of God's love for his children. So that's our unconditional love for our children and making sure it's not based on, for example, obedience. When you clean your room, I love you. When you don't, uh. um, But I mean, it, it comes with being a parent, I think. I know my parents love me even though we were very bad, very naughty many times. Um, but it's funny because we were talking about this a little bit with one of the moms right before this coffee began, but it's totally true. Confidence is modeled also by how we react to our daughter's emotional ups and downs. And you've heard this. This is Kate Hadley's famous don't get on the roller coaster. But that ties so much into her confidence and her interior freedom. She's going to come home, and she's going to say, so-and-so was being mean to me. So-and-so didn't invite me to the party. So-and-so. I mean, the list goes on, right? You know, this teacher gave me an F when I deserved an A. Go down the list. And if, as a parent, if you react, oh, you poor thing, you poor, that was so unjust to you, which we want to do, right? That's how she feels. And sometimes we feel the same way. What do you mean you didn't get that part in the play? Or what do you mean you got an A? I saw you work so hard on that. How could the teacher not give you an A on that essay? If we get sucked into you poor thing, then your daughter is going to internalize, yes, I am a poor thing. I have been wronged. I'm a victim, which is not healthy. I think a uh, response instead that builds up her confidence is a little bit of, honey, who cares? You, your worth is not affected by any of those things. She's being mean to you. Poor thing her. If she's the kind of girl who's mean to people, she's going to be really unhappy later in life. So it, it immediately removes it from your daughter's self-worth and puts it on other people. It sounds kind of uncharitable. But it builds up your daughter's confidence. Um, that idea of ignore her. You, your self-worth is not affected by these other girls. It's very liberating. I remember. I have a very strong memory of being in, there was an incident when I was in seventh grade and an incident when I was in ninth grade. Remember when I was in ninth grade, so the big social event of the week was Friday park days, where all of the high school kids, the friends, went to the park. And it was kind of this big co-ed social scene, and it was so exciting. And there was, we went through a volleyball phase at one point. So it was, 
you know, playing a pickup game of volleyball. And so the way it worked was the two coolest boys who were at the park were the team captains, and everyone would line up at the volleyball net, and they would pick teams. And I remember one time this happening where I was not picked. I was left up at the net. So, you know, they're picking you, and you go, and you join the team. And there was only maybe about three of us left at the net. And then we had to do the walk of shame to the sidelines because we weren't going to be playing in the game. It was, it was awful. It was just a horrible, horrible, shameful feeling. And of course, I went home and I was sobbing. I remember where I was on the couch just telling my mom what happened. And I was thinking back, I don't remember, the only thing I remember my mom doing was listening and basically just letting me talk and give me a hug. I don't remember her talking very much. I don't remember her saying, it doesn't matter, sweetie. Those meanies, they're just going for I don't remember her talking a lot. It was just giving me a hug. And then her kind of, we did something fun together, I think, afterwards. So it was, there was nothing kind of beating my victim mentality. It was just loving me and moving me on to something fun. And I remember the thing that happened in seventh grade was kind of similar. I found out, it was towards the last day of school, and I found out that all the girls in my class had been invited to a party except me, that I was the only one in my whole class who was excluded from this party, which kind of shook me up a little bit. And I went home, of course my mom was there, and I remember her saying, instead of, I'm gonna call that mom, I'm gonna, it was, there was no kind of retaliation. The only thing she said was basically, Ginny, you need to feel bad a little bit of you need to feel bad for that girl because she's going to, I mean, her life is not going to be very happy if that's the way that she treats people. So let's feel bad for her, not feeling bad for me. We need to start already feeling bad for her, um, which built, it built me up a lot. And I remember her taking me out. We did something really, really fun that afternoon. So it's just substituting hurt and victim with, that's all right, and here's something fun that we're going to do together. That was so powerful when I was in middle school and high school. So that idea of not feeding into the victim, staying off the roller coaster, because it really does build up our girls and give them more confidence that self, their self-worth is not touched by anything, because they're loved by God and they're loved by her parents. All right, so, yeah, so educating and freedom, I mean, it's the work for us, it's the work of a lifetime of learning how to do that better and better. It's a very lofty goal, but it is the most rewarding goal. It's what we want for our girls, that they become mature adults who act from deep convictions and have the tools to choose the good. So I have two, an article and a letter to recommend where I got all these ideas from. One is this article, it's called Educating in Freedom, and it's on um, www.opusday.org. If you go to Opusday's website, there's a tab that says Christian Life. If you click on that tab, it's got 100 articles, so many of them having to do with educating, mostly for parents. Um, there's educating in freedom, educating in friendship, educating in modesty. There's tons and tons and tons of resources there. So that's where I got this article from. I've given it to the deans. We've had discussions on it. I've given it to all the faculty. We're really working. That's kind of our model for educating in freedom at Oakcrest. And then another deep, deep letter on freedom um, that's a challenge to us as adults is the prelate of Opus Dei, Monsignor Fernando Ocari, wrote a letter 
on January 9th, 2018, which is also available on the Opus Day website. But it's, real, it's a deep, deep letter about freedom, talking about interior freedom, spiritual freedom, not being, um, living for love instead of living as responding to demands. It's just gorgeous and deep. Lots of things to plumb from that. So I'd pass those on to you. And I'd love to hear suggestions and tips and how you guys do it. Or any comments, questions, stories, anything.